We're starting a new series today, a four-part series that's going to continue for the next four weeks called HERO. And the thought behind this series is an acronym. And all of us want to succeed. Every single one of us want to succeed. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Psalm and chapter number 86. Psalm 86. And as we work through this series, we're going to be working through an acronym of different letters that talks about the attributes of having the character of God. We have the attributes of a godly character. We're going to be looking at a particular person in the Bible, a man named David. David was a man who was by no means perfect. And we're going to be doing what's called a character study and discovering some things in his life that can also apply to our lives and particularly with our church. I don't believe there's any greater compliment that can be given to to our church as a whole than to be described as that church, as in Southwest Baptist Church, has a heart for God. That would be the greatest compliment for me to receive as a husband and as a father, for for ladies, as as a wife, as a mother, as a a student, as every aspect of your life to, to be described as that person. There's something different about them, and it's not just weird. There's something different about them. They have the heart of God. They look at life differently. They, they, they see circumstances differently. They don't think in the short term. They think in the big picture, in the long term. And we can certainly see that in the life of a man named David. Let me give you a little summary of who this David was. He was a man who lived 3,000 years ago, as in 1,000 B.C., he was living. And during that time, in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 13, God is is quoted as saying, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. God was looking for someone who was after his own heart. He had had a king previously named Saul, who was physically very impressive. The Bible describes him as being head and shoulders taller than everyone else. He was handsome. He was, a, he was a man, you look at him, that looks like a king. But he did not have a heart for God. And God m- moved him away from being the king and, and took away his blessing from Saul. And he says, I'm going to go find now a king, a man after my own heart. David, as a teenager, was anointed by the prophet Samuel and anointed to be king. As a result of that, he went into really into hiding for many years. And there's a number of things about, about David that were quite incredible. He's most well known for being the man who, who defeated the giant Goliath. But not only that, he was also a shepherd. He was a warrior who led an army. He was a skilled musician who played a harp. He was a poet who wrote the majority of the Psalms of the Bible, which were used for, for temple worship and still across the world. The Psalms are being studied even today in churches. He was a man who wept openly in grief, but also danced without shame in worship. He was a man who made some serious grave errors. He was a man of pride. He was a man who was an adulterer. He was a man who was a murderer. He had problems in his family where his children rebelled against him. He was a man that had eight wives, which is way too many. He was a man who lived for 70 years, who ruled Israel for 40 years. He was a great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself was 
referred to as the son of David. All of that was he was just a man. But he was a man who could be described as a hero, but not because of his, his physical attributes, not because he was a great warrior, because he defeated a giant, or because of all the things he did. He was a hero because, first of all, the H is, he was a man who had the heart of God. Through this series, we're going to look at a number of different things. First of all, the H is heart of God. Next week, we'll be looking at encouragement from God. And these are attributes that we can apply to our life and our church. We'll be looking at repentance toward God and finally obedience to God in the final of the hero series. Each of these are attributes that I believe that are not exclusive to David. That through God and through the Bible and the Holy Spirit, we can begin to apply these attributes to our life to make an impact. You see, 3,000 years ago, God says, I want to find a man who is after my own heart. Then 2,000 years ago, in the first century, the book of Acts, in Acts chapter number 13, verse 22, describes David. And it describes him this way. He, that is God, raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, this is God being quoted, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. That's exactly the attributes that we should be applying to our lives. What a great example David has been, even though he was not a perfect man. He was a man after God's own heart. That's exactly how I want to be described. That's how I, the reputation of our church, I want to be known as a church after God's own heart. Our principle for today is this. And every Sunday we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life, and it is this. To be a godly hero, I will align my heart with God. We have Psalm 86, which I asked you to turn to earlier. We're just going to look at two verses. Psalm 86 is one of those psalms that is written in the time of just being normal. Oftentimes, we do turn to God in the hard times when we're in the low valley and we don't know what's going to happen. Or we turn to God when everything's, everything is on the mountaintop and is wonderful. But how about just in the normal time when we're just going through the routine of life and everything is just going just well? The bills are all being paid. The kids are all behaving. You're getting along with your, your husband or your wife and everything at work is just normal. How should we be acting when everything is just normal? For us as a church, we are incredibly blessed. But during the times when times are just normal and we have just a normal Sunday and a normal week, should we just go back and say, well, God, since nothing's really happening in my life right now, I'll just wait for the hard times and then I'll come and seek you. Or should we have the heart of God? Psalm 86 is known as a psalm that was written during a time that just everything was normal. The understanding is David prayed this as a prayer himself to God. Psalm 86 verses 11 and 12 says this, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. And here's the key phrase, unite my heart to fear your name. The word that fear that is, is to have reverence towards. 
It, and, and it goes on and says in verse number 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. This morning we're going to very quickly look through two different requirements for the heart of God. The first is faith, and the second is follow. If you have your notes in your bulletin, you can follow along, and you can fill out some blanks. So get ready and start filling out some blanks now, because the first one is faith. Faith is to faith to know God's will. That verse number 11 again says, Teach me your way, O Lord. There's some anticipation that during the times that are just normal routine, that everything seems to be going well, that's personally when I find it difficult to read my Bible. I find it hard to pray real, real prayer when everything is going well. Do you find the same thing? When things are not going well, when there's conflict, when there's sickness, when there's uncertainty, that's when I have no problem praying to God, God, you're going to have to do something here. But in the times of normalcy, when everything's working out, we find it hard. Here we have to have the faith to, to follow God, to know God's will. David experienced that as a teenager. 1 Samuel chapter number 17. He describes him talking and speaking with his king, King Saul. And he was being prepared to go and fight the giant Goliath, fight to the death. And as a teenager, he was stepping forward when literally everyone else, the king included, was hiding in fear because of this giant Goliath was calling them out and saying, bring out your champion. And everyone's going, I'm not the champion. It's not me. And David comes along and says, I will fight. And he gets a reality check from his king, King Saul. And Saul says this, And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. You are too young. And he has been a man of war from his youth. The list of you can't, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, is a long list of you can't. In fact, if you list off the things you can't do, it's longer than the list of things that you can do. And if you simply focus on everything that you can't do, we'll sit back and do absolutely nothing. But what is it that God can help you through and to do? And that's exactly what David did. As a 14-year-old, I was attending a summer youth camp, and I remember distinctly only one thing about that youth camp. It's typical. You send your kids off to camp, they have a great week, and they don't remember anything. But I do remember one thing that took place. I don't remember the name of the speaker, but the speaker said, when you go to read your Bible, pray before you read your Bible, and simply ask, God, what do you want to teach me today? And then look for it. In other words, it's anticipation. And that transformed the way that I read my Bible as a teenager and helped mold me and shape me. And even today, when I read my Bible and as I prepare my own personal devotions of studying out the Word of God, that's, it has to become personal first. And it starts with some faith to say, God, I want to know what is your will. In order to know God's will, first of all, you must know God's Word. You must know the Bible. What does the Bible say is a powerful question. 
As a church, that's exactly what we do. That's why every single Sunday we say, open your Bibles too. And sometimes you don't have physically have your Bible. You have your phone or we have it on the screen. But we want to direct your attention off of the speaker and onto the Word of God. What does the Bible say? Therefore, our church is not personality driven. It is Bible driven. What does the Bible say? And the scripture says, here's the prayer. Teach me your way, O Lord. The key idea there is your way. It's your idea, God. I firmly believe Southwest Baptist Church is God's idea. It was not a person's idea. It was not another church's idea. It wasn't my idea. It's God's idea. And when we simply follow God's idea, the doors of opportunity open up. We can know God's will by knowing God's word. We also must know God's wisdom. There is a lot of information in our world. In fact, we're living in a society now when, when you don't know something, instantly your thought that comes to your mind is, I'll get my phone and Google it. And that's good. I love Google. It helps me do so many things. That and YouTube. I'm practically a mechanic now. I can fix anything because of YouTube. And... It's, it's wonderful. We have tremendous opportunity for wisdom and knowledge today that we've never had in the past. But we must make sure that our, true, our wisdom is truly God's wisdom and not mankind's wisdom. There are so many different people and different things that are vying for our attention. They're wanting to get our attention and to, to distract us. But you know, when you don't know something... In the book of James, chapter number one, we're given a solution. And it's a very simplistic solution, but it's not a simple solution. This book of James is written by a man named James. And it was written in the first century by James, who was actually the brother of Jesus. Mary had many children other than Jesus. And James was one of, of, of Jesus' brothers. And he became the leader of the church of Jerusalem and wrote the book of James, which is an incredibly practical book of how we're to live life. And James chapter number one, he answers the question about where do you find wisdom? If you don't know what God wants you to know, what are we supposed to do? It's a very simple answer. If any of you lack wisdom, what does he say? Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask, how are we to ask? Ask in faith with no doubting. For one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And go on in verse number eight, it says, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We are given the opportunity to, to go directly to God and say, God, I want to know what is true. I want to know your wisdom. So therefore, in order to have the heart of God, the attribute of the heart of God, first and foremost, we must have the faith to know God's will. Then moving on from that, the second point this morning is the heart of God requires us to follow or it's the now what? Have you noticed? Now, I have three high school kids in my family. And have you noticed that high school, they know everything? They are instantly brilliant. And as they know everything, it's hard because they know what they're supposed to do. And it's one thing to know what to do because you know exactly what to do. There's a very different thing to actually do it. 
I know I'm supposed to eat more vegetables. I know I'm supposed to exercise more. I know I'm supposed to read my Bible. I know that I'm supposed to tell that person or help that person or do this. I know I'm not supposed to do this. I have no problem with knowledge of what we're not supposed to do or supposed to do. There's a real issue with actually doing it. And many of us grow up from being teenagers where we know everything to being adults where we think, continue to think we know everything, but we fail to do what it is that God has called us to do. And here we find the heart of God requires us to follow. The scripture, again, in Psalm 86, verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, in the second part, that I may walk in your truth. It's a walk. It's a journey. And we see here that the word of God gives us direction for life. In Psalm 25, there's another psalm written by David. In verses 4 and 5, it says this. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. And verse number 5, those two words. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation for you. I will wait all the day long. Those two words in verse number five, lead me, gives me such assurance. Because one of the most unhelpful things to do is to say, you're lost, but I have no idea how to help you. Or you're lost and I, I have no directions to give you. You ever talk to someone on the phone and they've rung up and they've said, uh, I'm lost, I need directions. Where are you? I don't know. It's impossible to help them. Like, you have to find some sort of landmark in order for me to give you some directions. That always words lead me. When you've heard something, you, you're trying to give someone directions, and you say, just it's over there somewhere. It's so unhelpful. But what we find that God does is he says, I'm going to take you by the hand, and I'm going to lead you through life. And the beauty of that is it's not just because you're young or just because you don't know or just because you have problems. This is universal. This is for the most mature Christian or the most baby of Christians. God says, I'm going to lead you through every step of the way. I'm never going to leave you alone. As a, as a pastor and as a husband and as a father and as just a human being, that gives me tremendous assurance that as we look forward to the future, that we can know that we can have the heart of God, and he's going to lead us. Imagine the unknowns that that, that takes care of. We see him going back to 1 Samuel chapter number 17 when David is going against Goliath. He gives us deliverance from the unknown. As I said earlier, the list of can'ts is a long list, much longer than the list of do's. And the list of things that you don't know is a lot longer than the list of things that you do know. And we often focus on everything that we don't know and we ignore what we do know. And one of the things we don't specifically know is what's going to happen in the future for you. I'm, what I mean by that is we don't know if something's going to happen to you on the way home today. I hope it doesn't. I hope you drive home safely. I hope that you don't have some medical episode, but we don't know what the future holds. But according to the Bible, we really do know what the future holds. 
The Bible gives us tremendous insight into the, the fact that when we close our eyes in death, we could, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you will open them in the very presence of God. That gives me incredible assurance where, personally, I am not looking forward to the physical act of death because it's supposed to hurt. And I'm praying that God just gives me a very quiet death as I die in my sleep because I'm a wimp when it comes to pain. But I'm not afraid of what happens next because we do know the future. We have the deliverance from the unknown, and the scariest thing is the unknown. We don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future, that is God, as Jesus Christ, because of our salvation. And as a result of that, we can look back upon the past and say, God, how have you blessed me here? and here, and here, and here. And as a church family, we can look back upon the last decade and go, God, you have blessed and you provided. You blessed and you provided. You blessed and you provided. You got, brought people along. You changed lives. You, we saw people healed. We saw prayers answered. We saw incredible things take place. We look back upon it and go, God, only you could have done that. And as we anticipate the future, there's a lot of scariness in the future because there's unknown. So therefore, we must go back and say, God, what have you done for us in the past that we can have assurance for the future? That's exactly what David did when he was confronted with uh, the giant Goliath. His king said, don't do this. You are but a, you're just a boy. You're a youth. You're too young. And this war you're going against, he'd been killing people since he was a youth. And David said this in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 37. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. In other words, he had defeated and killed a, a lion and he defeated and killed a bear in the past. Will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Your past will give you confidence for the future. Your, your past confidence has to be upon Jesus Christ. And the message of Jesus Christ is foundational to every single thing we teach at Southwest Baptist Church. You see the signs behind me with connect and grow and serve. And we want to help you to connect with God and others and help you to grow in your relationship with God and others. And through that, we serve God as we serve others. But this foundation is Jesus Christ. So my challenge and encouragement to you today is to accept and have the heart of God. But it begins with knowing Jesus. So my question for you, and this is as an individual, I can make eye contact with every single person. Do you know Jesus? That's the foundation for having a heart of God is to knowing God is through Jesus Christ. And not to be overly simplistic, and I would love for, to open up the Bible and, and show you in depth how you can know Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's, it's actually a very simple process of simply admitting that you are who God says you are. The Bible says that we have all sinned. We've all done wrong. The Bible says that we have fallen short of the glory of God. So therefore, we need a Savior, and God provided a Savior in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived a perfect life on earth. He died a cruel death on a cross because He was the Savior of the world. And through that, he took us the sin upon himself and paid the price that only he could pay for our sin. And if we simply accept that free gift of salvation, we, we turn away from our sin and accept his free gift of salvation, the Bible says you will be saved. In the book of Romans, chapter number 10, verse 9, it says, 
If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it makes a beautiful statement, you will be saved. That's the starting point of the rest of our life. And it begins with a relationship. As I began this morning, the greatest compliment you can give our church and the greatest compliment you can give me as an individual would be simply to say that you have the heart of God. Because this is the result. If we have faith and if we follow, the result is, verse number 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Don't miss this moment to let God work in your hearts and your life, to have a heart of God. And as you go out this week, you're going to have an opportunity to be tempted to do various things. Let this be a constant reminder, do I have the heart of God? And let it be a filter through which you see things. And as you go out this week, as a result of having a heart for God, you get to glorify your, as it says there, glorify your name forever.